Exit for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Welcome back to all new, all different, Uncanny X for Podcasts, where we examine the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise as it begins its multi-title 80s expansion. I'm your host, Jonah. I'm Dylan. And I'm Nico. And we are, in fact, the best there is at what we do. And what we do is awesome dissections of Wolverine's landmark miniseries from 1982 by the creative team of Frank Miller, Chris Claremont, and Joseph Rubenstein. The eponymous miniseries changed everything for Logan as we knew it. It introduced an entire luscious backstory in Japan it gave him new side characters like Yukio and Lord Shinigan. It expanded on the already rich tapestry of Mariko's character, and it introduced us to new ways of thinking about the Knucklehead. He wears a lot of masks in this story, but so far, he hasn't really put on the mask of superhero. We've spent most of the last three issues helping Logan figure out if he's an animal or a man. It seems like, left up to his own devices, Logan is always capable of conquering the beasts that are controlling him. But once you introduce outside facts, like the machinations of Lord Shinigan or the enticements of Yukio, Logan falls down on the job and has trouble staying an honorable man. It's that duality that first drew me to the character as this was one of my first experiences with him. I'd read a number of the X-Men trade paperbacks, but Wolverine 1 through 4 was my first ever Wolverine solo stories. A lot of my earliest comic book experiences were with Frank Miller, whether it was the classic Frank Miller Daredevil Electra saga, or it was Daredevil's The Man Without Fear, or this. I'm a really big fan of his storytelling, his use of long vertical panels, and his use of shadows to express ideas. I think the shadows play a humongous element in this story, and I think no segment proves that better than the second half of the third issue. In the second half of the third issue, Logan, finally free of Yukio's control, begins a slow crawl to put together the pieces of his last few months. In the course of this, he begins to understand Yukio's deceptions, and begins to set forward a path to put his life back where he wants it. Through these pages, we see Logan come out of the shadows more and more, before finally showing his face again clearly, proudly, more human than it's probably ever looked in the final page of the issue. Honestly, it's maybe a little bit similar to some images of Elektra that Frank Miller did around the same time, but it's okay, it's okay, it's really pretty, it's okay. But I thought Logan's journey back to man by fighting in a humane way was a powerful telling of the struggles of the character to maintain that equilibrium in the face of such adversity. Dylan, it has been such a really wonderful thing for me to hear that you've grown to appreciate Wolverine more through this experience. I honestly don't understand when people don't love Wolverine because there's so many sides to him to love. I can't imagine not finding one that resonates with you, but I don't ever see the ones I don't want, the bloodthirsty killing machine, because my earliest understandings of Logan were this miniseries. It was a bedrock of his moral honor that I always saw through the killing and getting to share it with you as well as Jonah but Jonah didn't need to be converted so much (laughs) getting to share this with you has been really a rewarding experience 
These issues, actually, when I read for these episodes, I read it not too long ago. I actually went back and actually read some of my favorite stories that did include Wolverine. And for the most part, that is a lot of his X-Force that's written by and art by Kyle and Yost. And I feel like I'm missing one other name. Please help me. His X-Force. Sonia Obak? Yes. The X-Force that I absolutely love is Wolverine in X-23 and Wolfsbane and Warpath. I actually kind of... And Domino. And Domino. Yes. Gosh. I, well, when that when that team first started, she wasn't on it in the first like six issues. Very fair. I am just such a, like such a huge Domino fan. Who isn't? I went back and read some of those stories and I actually kind of understand and love Wolverine a little bit more after reading this miniseries. He is still constantly overused in comics, but I feel like I understand him more and his moral honor, even if... The past decade or so, he has been more of what seems to be a blood-killing machine. Any time he has been that, there has been a very honorable reason why. I've really enjoyed this journey with you as well. I'm happy that we could be on this journey with you. I don't want to say Logan doesn't deserve criticism or looking with a particular scrutinized eye because I know Logan will be doing some questionable things in the future. I really do appreciate you giving Logan another chance and trying to look at him in a different light. Going back and reading other stories that you did appreciate and finding the nuances in his character that way. I think that's really super cool and I think more people should do that. Logan's fourth part begins with honor and it's what he's reclaimed by finding himself as a man. Logan is always struggling to be the best man he can be, not understanding that the best man he can be is a product of the machinations that have been laid before him. So frequently in his narrative, Logan has no control of his own story or his own destiny. It's fascinating that we've compared the poisoning to a blade, because whether it's Shinigan poisoning him with a sword, or arrows from the hand, or Yukio's darts, the fourth issue sees Logan with the crossbow in his own hands. Throughout this story, the arrow has been the weapon of the hand. It's a powerful statement on his reclamation of his own agency. One of the hardest parts for Logan in this story is understanding how to balance his many masks. And we finally see the return to superhero Logan on the first page of this story. I love the color tone, that very severe purple that we open the issue on. It's an overwhelming change for the character in a way that really suits him. I feel like color told so much much of the story in this four-parter. Dylan, I think you're actually a pretty big fan of Joseph Rubenstein, right? I am a huge fan of his set in first issues. I had never read this, but I knew that this story by Chris and Frank and Joseph finishing on the art for Frank was incredibly renowned by comic book fans and X-Men and Wolverine fans. Back in March of this year, I went to C2E2 and I had a goal in mind of getting a mashup of of nine or so different artists to do different X-Force characters all on one piece. And I actually kind of went into the Comic-Con without knowing who every single artist was there. I was just going to kind of wing it and get a really interesting mashup. But one of the first booths that I saw in Artist Alley was Joseph Rubenstein. And I immediately knew that he was going to be doing one or more characters on it because he is such a great artist. And funny that you mentioned Domino earlier. Domino is actually the character that I got Joseph to do on the mashup piece. And it is beautiful. I can't even 
imagine like the way that light bulb went on like oh he would draw those characters with such dimension like he's such a great choice for so many different characters but it's really I love that domino piece you've shown me the piece it's so gorgeous and I think so much of the richness of the colors on this story informed my feelings almost as if to set the soundtrack it's so hard because when we think of film we think of the score and the composer as creating the atmosphere but in a comic you don't have that the colorist has to do all of the work of a composer creating the emotional atmosphere that the book carries and for my money I feel like the creative team on Wolverine crafted an unforgettable narrative Glennis Ween is such a brilliant colorist and she is the wife of Wolverine creator Len Ween who had left Marvel and gone to DC at this point and this issue is so incredible maybe because by giving Logan back his own agency he's in fewer pages of this issue than a number of the others we get strong cutaways to Mariko to Yukio and Shinigan I believe that Mariko Yukio and Shinigan all recognize that they have completely underestimated Logan not for his ability to be a savage but for his ability to be cunning clever Logan is more than just a set of claws he's a genius tactician under all of that and when he can suspend the berserker long enough to think clearly there's very little more dangerous than Logan with a plan Jonah I know you love a strong woman I know you love a powerful woman and I know you love dynamic shifts in a story you love having the your expectations thrown up in the air what was it like to see Yukio get her due in this issue both in terms of her victories and her losses you know I I love when a character gets their comeuppets. I don't like when the good characters always win. I don't like when the bad characters always lose. But I do like it when a character gets exactly what they deserve. It was justly done what happened to Yukio. And I think part of that is Yukio didn't plan any of this. This was a lot of on the whim and falling into almost the trap of animalistic instincts of survival, of trying to get what you want. And Yukio not winning, not getting Logan, you know, getting beaten down by Shinigan is all I don't want to say it's what she deserves but it's more you reap what you sow she really needed a more clever plan but she's not a clever person or at least I wouldn't describe her clever maybe she is you know clever because she has to be an assassin but this story is only showing her aggressive abrasive wild side and it wouldn't make sense for her in this whole narrative about man versus animal and who you really are it wouldn't make sense for her to have a carefully crafted plan that she figures out and wins. And especially because if we think about this in terms of a play and we apply Chekhov's gun, this is still Logan's narrative. At the end of the day, this is still about his journey. Yukio plays a massive part, but she's still operating as the B character in this saga. Dylan, had you known the conclusion before you read this? I did, but that's mainly just because I feel like even if you don't know too much about Logan's past, you know what Logan did to Mariko's father. It, it, this has been a, a really cool ride to read how it led up to that, because once again, not knowing too much about Wolverine's past and very honorable self, I feel like comics these days, if they bring up Mariko and uh, Shinigan, I feel like they kind of leave out a lot of horribleness about Mariko's father. So for me, the conclusion of this, there was only one way that this needed to conclude, and that was with Mariko's father dying. And 
I think one of the most telling moments in the entire story is Logan's red eyes in the moment he has to take Shinigan's life. It's an uncomfortable color palette change in a predominantly blue story. So much of this story was told through heavy blue and sharp black, and here we have this moment of pain, of rage. Logan doesn't want to kill Shinigan as much as he wants to kill Shinigan. It's a complicated conclusion to a story that could have had no other ending. Mariko's immediate forgiveness of Logan, I think, represents that she too was an animal looking to be freed from the machinations of the place she didn't even realize she was in. By contextualizing it in terms of a play, I feel like it paints the ending as kind of like a conclusive happy ending in a way that we can accept. Jonah, I've managed to avoid bringing up that Wolverine is going to get married for quite some time now. Were you surprised by the wedding invitation on the last page? Yes and no. And I'll say, ultimately, I wasn't expecting it. But as I got closer to reading it, I was like, yeah, okay, I know this is where this is going. I I will say this. Out of all of the X-Men that we have right now, I would not expect Logan to be the one to get married first. I would not be the one to think that he'd be settling down and, you know, have Mariko make an honest man out of him. I was not expecting any of that. But Mariko now being in charge of her clan and being able to forge her own path of following her code and her honor the way she wants to and the way that she knows will make her clan happy. I'm really, I'm happy that she is able to do things for herself and one of those being marrying Logan, who I know she loves. Dylan, how did you feel about this? Did you know? Oh, I'm assuming you did. But did you know that Logan was married to Mariko? And how do you feel? about them getting married and next time we're gonna be talking about the wedding like you said yeah i did know that they got married but re- going back and reading these issues uh, if i were to look at it with a fresh face kind of like you yes i definitely would not expect wolverine to ever get tied down by anyone it is shocking that he would but after this mini series where you get to see a more human side to logan it makes sense and is kind of an exciting story because what's a better story than throwing something at a character that you would never expect would happen to them. Hey everyone, we're Pat Dylan here with another episode, but this is actually the second part of House of Characters with Michael talking about Dazzler. Michael, welcome back. Thanks for having me. This is fun. (laughs) At the end of the last one that you and I spoke about, you mentioned a few things like what recently happened a few years ago with Dazzler making a kind of awesome return in Utopia, but then out of nowhere, she got grounded again and thrown into comic book limbo. I like to talk about comic book limbo a lot, especially when it happens to my favorite characters. Go ahead and explain a little bit of what happened to her and then what your thoughts are. Oh were no, which time? Which time, Dylan? Poor Dazzler. With Mystique. Oh no. Alright, you're in for it, everybody. The Mystique situation is what I like to call it. So, Brian Michael Bendis is like very excited to bring Dazzler back into the X-Comics. So, she has her amazing comic written by Greg Pak of Extreme X-Men 
Salesman, which holds a very special place in my heart and many people's hearts because we, a lot of us Dazzler fans saw that as like the fully realized Dazzler. She's fun, she's cool, she's making fun of herself, she's confident, and she's leading a team. I mean, how perfect can that be? And she's using her powers in these really cool ways she never has before. She's creating like photoelectric noise so that sentinels can't track her. And she's using sound to echolocate people. I mean, how cool is that? She could have been doing this in comics for decades. So, just awesome work by Greg Pak. Thank you, Greg. I'm going to clap for you. So, when that series was canceled in a very strange other miniseries kind of way I won't get into, we have her as this agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. situation to be like the mutant liaison between all the mutants led by Cyclops, who's basically anti-government at the time, for lack of a better way to put it, and S.H.I.E.L.D. to be like, okay, let's kind of fix this situation so we can all be on the same page, and you're the most famous public mutant. So within the world of Marvel Comics, us Dazzler fans especially know, she's the most popular character within the comics. Everybody knows who she is because of her public life, because of Dazzler the movie and being outed, and she's basically worked with everybody. The Avengers, the X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, you name it, she's worked with them because she's awesome, right? And the perfect face. And we also know that in the future, and I think this is the real future, I don't think it's an alternate future, we have President Dazzler, the first mutant president, okay? So we have all these cool things going on that could happen. So yeah, she's gonna be a mutant liaison for S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Blair, aka Agent Dazzler, don't call me that. And her very first day on the job, she is taken out by a bad cup of coffee poisoned by Mystique, who replaces her for a year. So Dazzler's family doesn't know, her friends don't know, her peers don't know, her co-workers don't know, nobody notices. No one notices she doesn't use her powers for a year. So there's all these writing issues with this for plot hole scenarios that nobody notices that, you know, I had to bring up. However, the worst part of it is that Mystique had Dazzler kidnapped and she was harvesting mutant growth hormone from her, using it as a drug for other mutants to get a boost in their powers or jumpstart their powers again. And this is not okay. So after this happens, you know, Magneto finds Dazzler and kind of saves her and then get her back with the X-Men where she abruptly goes, well, what's the word we call it these days? It's not emo, it's not goth. I don't know what it is, but she shaves <laughs> out of her head and she put on a ripped dress with all these, I don't she had her blue eye star again, which is pretty cool, I will say, but she was just very angry at the world and, and I don't blame her. I would be too. I think it's left her in this weird place in the world of Marvel Comics still. So we got to this place where she's angry and we did get our one issue, so I will thank Brian Michael Bendis for this. We did get our one issue where she got payback on Mystique. She got under her sin, she got her, and they got her back to S.H.I.E.L.D. However, we know Mystique always escapes, so that was short-lived off the panel. Yeah. So it left Dazzler in this weird place where previously she had her confidence all built again. She was a leader. She was awesome. And then they had to knock her down a few pegs to put her in this really weird dark place. And, you know, we did get her back in A-Force and bravo to Kelly Thompson. I'm just going to do another plug because Kelly's awesome. She wrote a great Gem in the Holograms comic for IDW for years. She wrote A-Force and this writer can write relationships, like the depth of relationships and the comedy and the conflict and 
in the, in the sadness and how people connect. And she was bringing the light back to Dazzler and A-Force. Pun fully intended, folks. And I completely yeah. agree. A-Force was amazing for Dazzler. Like, I feel like it should have just been called Dazzler and the A-Force because I feel that book, like you said, it brought the fun Dazzler back to Marvel. So what was cool about A-Force was we had Dazzler dealing with all of this darkness that she had gone through and then she meets Dazzler Thor and she's like, wow, this is this light part that I'm kind of denying myself right now because I'm not in this place and maybe my life could have been like that. What's going on? And what Kelly Thompson did with her character was, and Kelly was forthright in saying, I didn't really like Dazzler when I started writing her. She's like, I didn't really like her. And she's like, I grew to love this character through writing her, which is really cool. You don't hear, you know, authors saying that. Usually they try to pick their favorites. And she grew to love her and she was really slowly working through Allison coming back out of the darkness. And unfortunately, you know, the series was canceled, right? Good things will always come of that, of A-Force. People always talk about A-Force still to this day and how cool it was and why was it short-lived? And it did help Dazzler start to develop. But then again, we get her in, as you said earlier, Dylan, this what do we do with this character now situation? We're going to have to put her in limbo until we have another advocate at Marvel saying, let's use Dazzler. So in the 80s, we had yeah. Jim Shooter, who loved Dazzler and advocated for her to be everywhere all the time, which was a great time. But then in the 90s, we had, I believe it was Bob Harris, who was like, eh, yeah, no, her, her ship has sailed, and I think we're going to use other characters now and make them more prominent and we don't really need her so much and i think she's still not recovered from the 90s like i said and i hope that'll change you know we see all this merchandise every year coming out for dazzler which i think is very exciting for her fans that you know in the last two years have had two different marvel legends figures i mean that's crazy for a female character in and of itself who is known as this underdog not a list character and you know her figures that have two totally different looks we got the disco and we got the outback looks and she had a statue come out. She's going to be on this Hulu show, Dazzler and Tigra, or Tigra and Dazzler, whenever that comes out by Chelsea Handler. I mean, you know, that that's the big time. Yeah. It does kind of seem like it is a, a good revival in these past few years for Dazzler. And speaking of those legends, I'm pretty sure you yourself own like 57 well... different ones of... <laughs> Of them. <laughs> well, I have a theory about supply and demand, Dylan. I'm going to tell you. Yeah, when the disco one came out, I'm like, all right, I'm going to buy this every time I see it. And I'm going to give gifts to people as well and their children to maybe start liking Dazzler. And if we buy all of these, if it sells well, we're only going to get more Dazzler merchandise, which we have. So I think the <laughs> Dazzler group, the Age of Dazzler group, plug, 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 it, I think we helped get a second figure and more merchandise. Just going to put it out there. We can change the world's people. I'm I'm gonna rewind us a second when you talked about Dazzler's changing of her look after her mystique situation. Speaking of Dazzler's looks, I want to kind of take this back to you being the super Dazzler fan. You cosplay almost every look that Dazzler has ever had. And I, I commend you on it because your cosplays of Dazzler are amazing. Oh, I wanted to ask you, as a male Dazzler fan, talk about how you enjoy cosplaying as a 
female character and seem not bothered by if the world thinks this is weird or not. Yeah, thank you, Dylan. You know, and, and I never really thought about it when I started doing it, honestly. So this all came from the first comic convention I ever went to, my husband and I. Like, you know what? Let's go to a comic convention and let's go to Boston. Now it's called Fan Expo Boston, but about six years ago when we went, or seven, it was called Boston Comic Con. You know, we went down and before that, I'm like, you know, I want to have a costume. I, I just think it's something that I need to do. So I didn't really know anything about cosplay. I didn't even know that's what it was called. Of like, I just need to get some kind of a costume. And I'm like, you know, I love Dazzler and I'll make myself like a Dazzler Outback t-shirt. So I got yellow fabric paint and a red headband and, and sunglasses and like, you know, blue shorts and the shirt was blue and all this stuff. And I kind of threw it together and, and I didn't think anything of it. Like, I'm just like, oh, this will be fun. And I kind of walked around and some people were stopping me and like, oh, can I take pictures? I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't understand that part of it yet either. And it was just fun. And I would, you know, I went and met some different comic artists that I wanted to see and, and they figured out who I was and they thought it was cool. And and I had some comments then and at the next convention I went to, like, oh, that's really brave that you're doing that. And I, I scratched my head and I was like, I don't, what do you mean it's brave? Because I'm dressing as a, a female character. Like, I'm not doing drag, which I find that to be brave. This, I didn't feel to be brave by any means. And I went to Dragon Con a year or two later, dressed as Outback Dazzler. And I always developed the look, right? Like, I was learning about cosplay and making costumes. And, and I'm like, I need to make this better every time I do it. Like, oh, these pants are too loose. And uh, I got to learn how to do the chest star in a different way because this fabric paint looks like garbage. And, you know, I get these different techniques from people. That's how it all kept happening because I just wanted to have fun. And I'm like, you know what? I like Dazzler and I'm just going to keep doing this. And so I have my favorite and I anticipate this would be a question. I'm using my psychic abilities here. Yeah. What is yes. your favorite one to cosplay yeah, so as? My, you know, and because it was the first time I ever saw her and, you know, in the Outback days, I love the blue costume with the red headband and the, the yellow star in the chest and the, whether it's with a jacket or not. And I love the asymmetrical sleeves and gloves. And I just think it's fun. Yes, I know. But a lot of people gravitate towards her disco costume, right? That's where it all started. That was her yeah. performing costume. <laughs> but that wasn't her superhero costume. That costume was for stage performances only. You know, it wasn't insulated. And in Professor X and Dazzler issue 38, which I didn't know that she even had a solo series until years after I started reading, Professor X designed that costume. And it helps her regulate using her, you know, absorbing the sound and regulating how she used her light powers and how much. I thought that was really cool too. Like this costume was made for her specifically to be a superhero. It's not a New Mutants costume that she just got that everyone else had. Like this was her costume designed by Professor X. It was stylish for the 80s. She had a headband. That was cool in the 80s and even the 90s, right? And I just liked it and it's fun to wear. So my goal when I do costumes in general for conventions is I want to be comfortable and I want it to be functional. I'm not doing a onesie. You know, you have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> you have to move. Yeah, so Outback is definitely my favorite and, and I have done some others. So I finally graduated to disco because people are like, Mike, if you're a real Dazzler fan, you've got to do a disco costume. I'm like, I know. I've just been putting it off. Uh, but I finally did it. I started with the silver and realized very quickly any kind of metallic material, that's not going to breathe, folks. That You're, you're going to be sweating even if it's sleeveless. <laughs> you just, it does not breathe. So more recently I did, actually for an Equality Main Great Pumpkin Ball was I got white material. So I just found like a stretchy white dress shirt, cut off the sleeves, boom, there was the top. And then I got white skinny jeans, which are my fill-in for spandex because I don't wear skinny jeans in real life. So I just, you know, take off the tags from those in the back. And then, you know, I had other accessories I could use, you know, paint on the blue eye stars, which that's easy for one eye. But when you go to do a second one and have it like the same, that's where you can get into trouble. 
It is not easy. So that's what I did, and it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and I could breathe. Cotton, you can breathe. But I've also did a really bad makeshift new Excalibur one, which I need to redo someday. I basically just had like a, a blue desert t-shirt, cargo pants. I had some light-up swords, knee pads, boots, pink hair. I want to redo that and try to somehow emulate like cargo pant chaps. I know, everyone's laughing. People crap on this look, but I think it was fun. And you know, like leather coat, and it, that was another cool, like edgy look for Dazzler, which made sense for her character at the time. And I love her astonishing X-Men look, because that's like a greatest hits put together of Outback and a couple of her looks. I really liked her A-Force look, which I have done a couple times. Really did it for this Dragon Con, because a good friend, here's another plug, DJ Spider, who's like the coolest DJ and cosplayer ever in this world, Suzanne Knudsen. She does a lot of Dazzler cosplay, and she did Dazzler Thor. Yeah, that's right. You know, Jaws hitting the floor right now, folks. It was an amazing cosplay of hers. So that's when I said, you know what, I'm finally going to put it together and do A-Force Dazzler. And that was one of my favorite, most fun looks to put together and to wear. Like, something about it just gave me this edgy confidence. I'm like, there's something to this. All right, very cool. So I'll do some other looks, but the only one I'm really trying to never do is the infamous Utopia Starcrotch look. (laughs) That's just, (laughs) that's putting the attention to one area in the front and one area in the back that, you know, I'm a married man. I'm not, you know, showing these things off in public. So that's what I'll say. Dazzler has had some pretty amazing looks and some pretty kind of awful looks. Michael, where could everybody find you on the interwebs and look at your amazing cosplays? Everyone listening to this, please go and look at his cosplays. And he is about to mention his Facebook group, and I'm just going to do a plug for it real quick before he does. Age of Dazzler is a pretty amazing Facebook group. If you listen to me on Access for Podcasts, I plug my Facebook group, House of X. Michael made Age of Dazzler before before I made some of my other Facebook groups, I made House of X and it was amazing. And then Michael had his Facebook group of Age of Dazzler. And I saw how incredibly popular it was to have a group focus on and specialized with one character that I copied off of Michael. What? And I made my own <laughs> my own other groups like House of Storm and House of Wolverine because I saw through Michael's group the need of a place to just specialize and talk about certain characters. So I am going to plug this for him as well. Age of Dazzler is an amazing group. I have tons of other Facebook groups for other characters. I've never made one for Dazzler because Age of Dazzler is the best Facebook group to go to if you are a Dazzler fan. So, Michael, where can everybody you find you? You bring to my eye, Dylan. That was so sweet. Thank you. I will say, to be completely transparent, that I didn't start the Dazzler group. So, someone else literally went and created it online saying, Mike, I'm going to dump you in as admin to this because I want to create a group before someone else does. So, full transparency, but I was in it in the first day, and I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So, Dylan was a huge help. Asking, I was asking him questions all the time. Like, what happens when I hit this button? How do I put people in the group? How do I update this? So I really love the Facebook group, Age of Dazzler. It's very self-sustaining because 
I think that naturally the people that gravitate towards loving the character of Dazzler are good people, are open people, they're not judgmental people, and they're very creative. We have some great artists in our group. Like, I've never seen this level of talent from artists of people that I know, and I know some of these people in real life too, not just online. It's just so creative, and and we don't have trolls. So I think that's the other thing that happens in some gigantic, maybe comic-based or movie-based or just groups, you know, online in general. Like, people can be a little harsh and can be a little judgmental. And, you know, we've had a couple incidents over the last several years with the group, but those people will leave or be banned, right, as, as has to happen. But, <laughs> you know, we have had very few incidents of this. And I know the group, you know, we're still under about 2,000 folks, but it keeps it more intimate. We know who the group members are who post a lot. And it's very positive. I mean, I you know, when people brought it to my attention and the attention of the other admins, who I couldn't do this without, and I, and I think they actually do more in the group than I do. Also, just so you guys know that I haven't been super duper active in it lately, but I'm getting back into it. So come on over to the Age of Dazzler Facebook group, right? If you want to have a good time, if you like Alice Blair, <laughs> if you don't know much about her and you want to learn, come on over. I've introduced her character to some people, like a, a really cool woman that works at my gym. She's getting into comic books. And I started her by giving her the Dazzler black and white essential trades. And she read all about it and she's now like a lifelong I'm in love with Dazzler fan and now she's reading her Adventures in Uncanny X-Men. I keep giving her the big trades and, and things like that. So it's cool. Like we can introduce people to her and, and friends' kids. I've done that too, right? And it's just cool. It's fun. And the other places to find me online, just if you want to know me in life, not everything in my life is Dazzler, which you will see, but I do love her. My handle at Instagram and Twitter is mwanders4, or I'll spell it. It's M-W-A-N-D-E-R-S in the number four. And again, that's on Instagram and Twitter. So thank you guys. And, and I wanted to thank Dylan for just all the support with the group over the years and being friends. And just, I've learned so much from him. Or from you, Dylan. You're here. I can talk directly to you. Um, <laughs> I've learned so much from you. And it's very supportive, too. Like, that's the other thing about this comic community is when you, like, find your kindred spirits in it. Because nowadays it's okay to like comic books as an adult. There's no shame in it. And to, like, love your favorite characters and talk about it. Dylan's instrumental in that and encouraging in that. So I just wanted to thank you as well, Dylan. Thank you, thank you. Aw, thank you, sure. Michael. I'm definitely going to have you back. Yay! So, thank you. Of course. I'm happy to come back anytime. With a character like Wolverine, whose popularity continued to grow exponentially until it became more mythical than the character himself, it can be really difficult to focus in on the great stories, because when there's so many, the great ones are few and far between. But this was the first truly great Wolverine story. I can think of a handful of other truly phenomenal Wolverine stories by Chris Claremont. Uncanny X-Men 205 comes to mind, which is yet another incidental connection to Daredevil, as well as Uncanny X-Men 250 and a good portion of that interim X-Men era. He is such a dynamic character who has so much to offer, but kind of like Batman, I guess, another popular Frank Miller character, the hyper-violence occasionally overtakes the better judgment, not just in terms of the character, but in terms of the fandom, the marketing, the cultural perception. Logan is so much more than a running scream and a set of claws. Many of my biggest complaints about Hugh Jackman's Wolverine have nothing to do with the fact that he's six foot three, but several of them do. My... 
<laughs> Predominant complaints are that the character never reached his nuanced, complex apex in the films. Even when they were able to delve further into who he is, they never quite achieved this stunning level of storytelling. As this was my first real Logan story, my bond with the character is to his honor and to his humanity. And in a lot of ways, I guess I see in him what Nightcrawler sees in him. Logan is a character who is gruff and hard and kind of hateful. But Kitty and Kurt and even Aurora, they've fallen for him. They see the Logan bear inside the gruff Wolverine, and they want to let him in because they understand that the gruff exterior doesn't just lie a gentle soul beneath, but rather a good man. The hallmark of Logan is that he is a good man who has been irrevocably damaged by war and by pain and loss. Claremont and Frank Miller don't seek to create a nuanced story. They seek to create a nuanced and complex character and they let the character create the story. Dylan, if you had one big takeaway that you were most glad you read this because of, what would that be? I think, I don't want to repeat myself, but I think I worded it really awesome in the last issue. Reading this and really getting to see the heart of Logan instead of just the claws of Wolverine. This mini really humanizes Logan for me, and I feel like that might have been one of the reasons I couldn't really connect with him before, because when I started reading comics, he was already super popular, and I feel like there were certain ways that writers wrote him, and I feel like he wasn't really too humanizing in those stories. And I, when it comes to the X-Men, if I can relate to you on a humanizing level, that's how I fall for the character. So I, I love that I am a part of these episodes on this, because I'm happy that I get to love this short little man that everyone has loved for many decades. This short little man, Logan, <laughs> out of all the X-Men that we have so far, Logan is my number four. And the story didn't really change his placements for me, but I really did appreciate the love that went into his character. And it was really nice to see Logan get this love after his first few appearances in the X-Men between Giant Size X-Men number one and the following issues from there. It was really nice to be able to see Logan happy and feel like he's doing things for a cause. The dickish Wolverine is hard to like, and I would understand why readers wouldn't like him, but I really do appreciate that they took the moment to give his character this story. And this story is going to set the path to the legendary 175th issue of Uncanny X-Men. It has been so incredible to get to trace one of my favorite fictional characters' most defining moments with two of my favorite people in the world. And until we return to the pages of X-Men to find out a little bit more about this wedding, Dylan, where can everybody find you online? Everybody can find me trying to figure out who my plus one for Logan and Mariko's wedding is going to be at my Facebook group that is called House of X, or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Jonah, who are you taking to the wedding? Uh, me, myself, and I. Or, you know what? <laughs> I'd invite Carol for the drama. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, you can find me being petty on the internet. No, you really can't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Ravino and nope on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah Ravino and at Jonah.Ravino Nico please save me where can we find you? 
Everybody can find me at the surprise wedding in issue 175. And until then, you guys can find me at KidRiotComics.com, where I make my amazing, super cool, super inclusive superhero comic. Don't forget to check out my other amazing feeds on this network, like HTML or my theme work over on Too Fast Too Forever, as well as my super cool Instagram, where I never have a shirt on, over at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, we love having you listen. If you like what you hear, please remember to hit subscribe. Don't forget to like us over on Facebook, and check out our website, We Are Krakoa.com, our hub for all things comic book X-Men news online. And until we return to the secret wedding that actually takes place, we'll see ya. Bye. Sayonara. <laughs>